Support for Market Foolery comes from our identity protection friends at MyID Care. The massive data breach that occurred this past September puts you at risk. So join the more than 25 million Americans who rely on MyID Care for identity protection. Get started today by visiting myidcare.com fool and save 15%. It's Tuesday, November 14th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and joining me in studio, we've got Motley Fool Director of Small Cap Strategy, Bill Mann, and Matt Argersinger from Motley Fool Million Dollar Portfolio. Guys, welcome. Hey, Matt. Hey, I was in your neck of the woods yesterday. I was in Houston. Is that right? Yeah. Celebrating the Astros? It turns out it would have been a really good idea to go into the <laughs> Astro gear selling business, because everybody... I'm so happy for your city. I'm very happy too. I went and bought I haven't three copies of Sports Illustrated. I brought That's them so home, great. and my son said, "Why did you buy three copies?" And because. then I realized I had bought, you know, probably too many copies. No, because I got one for him. Yeah, but, you know. Yeah, anyway. exactly. I, you, I, I don't mean to jump on it right out of the right out of the gate, but it, I just as we were as you were winding up, I thought, yeah, I was in Houston yesterday, and it was it was glorious. And I, you know, I have such a soft spot for teams that have historic futility. Yes, and that, that, <laughs> so yes, that's our motto: that's historic right. futility. <laughs> no, Mac, you got three copies of the, the Sports Illustrated, obviously the championship issue. Correct. Did you get a copy of the 2014 issue that predicted? The I did 2017 not. Aspect? And those are collector's items now. You've yeah. got to get. They're that. like, I know, you I need that. that one, and those are going for like big bucks on eBay. Yeah. But I made a deal with myself that I was not going to make any gratuitous Astros or Costco references today, and I've already blown it. No, so. it's not your fault. I just wanted to say that it's uh, Bill's yeah, fault. It was my fault, and and and, and you know, I am a, I am a fan of teams that have historically not done very well. I mean, you know, which means I'm generally unhappy. So I am really happy when folks who have also shared sports unhappiness get a little taste of happiness. So And and yeah. it's a weird place to be. I got to tell you as someone who has lived his life with his teams losing, I don't quite know how to act. It, it's thrown me completely off, so I need to find like a Cubs fan or a Red Sox fan and get some get some advice. Okay, so on today's show, guys, lots to talk about. We've got a Nobel Prize winner who's sounding some alarms about passive investing and indexing, and we're going to get to that in a minute. Um, But let's begin with Home Depot. Better than expected earnings. Matt, we've got same-store sales that are way up, crushing expectations. And the numbers seem to be helped by the bad weather. But you look at the stock today, not doing a lot. Yeah, not surprised. I mean, you've got to remember, Home Depot's up more than 20% this year. It's been a great year. And you said the the same-store sales up almost 8%. There's... I don't know if there's there might be a handful of retailers in the country that are putting up that kind of number. You mentioned the hurricanes, uh, according to Home Depot, two hundred eighty-two million dollars uh, in additional revenue from hurricanes, and so obviously very few retailers can also benefit from hurricanes the way Home Depot has. Fourteenth straight quarter that Home Depot has surpassed expectations. So this is, you know, in this retail environment we're in, where it seems like nothing is working. Nothing really isn't working as well as Home Depot. What you're saying is that people are terrible at expectations. That's probably that's part of it, <laughs> right? Yes. Like 14 straight quarters of uh, complete yeah. futility. Yeah, you're either really <laughs> underpromising or something's happening there. You're right. Yeah, uh, it was a, it was it's definitely been a good quarter, and in you know, and we're going to talk about this in a in a bit, but in an environment when people think that Amazon is going to crush everything. Home Depot is fine, and there are lots of businesses that are like that. But Home Depot, I think, you know, has 
has the secret sauce. Well, Bill, let's talk about that. You were just mentioning, I know we passed around a Bloomberg story, um, the title, a great ominous headline, Americans' retail apocalypse is really just beginning. That's brutal. And when, It is brutal. <laughs> and when we've talked about problems facing retailers, we have talked a lot about Amazon and the effect that Amazon is having. But it's much bigger than Amazon, right? Yeah. I mean, Amazon is still... I don't have the statistic off the top of my head, but Amazon is still something on the order of two percent or you know, of all retail sales in the U.S., which is, let's just say, phenomenal because you're talking about two percent of a really, really big number. But it's not just Amazon. The thing that you have to realize, you know, I was I I, I was recently in Silicon Valley, and I was looking at all of the different just amazing businesses, and I realized that Silicon Valley came from the death of. You know the military industry in that same area. Sort of, you know, there was there was a renewal, and I think we're going through the same thing in retail. There are lots of areas where you know the big department stores, which used to be enormously relevant, you just don't need them anymore. But that's where the space is pointed to, and the big malls. It's just not the type of things that are needed anymore, and it's not where the trends are or are going. But you have that, and you also have these stores. You know, a lot of which have been taken out uh, by you know by private equity, absolutely larded with debt. So they are. I, I'm not sure that the retail uh, apocalypse is driven by Amazon. Obviously, it's a part of it, and it's very specifically hurting some segments, but it's not everything. Yeah, Bill, Bill mentioned it. It's it's yeah, Amazon's part of the story here. E-commerce in general is part of the story, but it really is a balance sheet story. Uh, with anything yeah. else, I mean, the amount of debt that's going to come due over the next several years, kind of pointed out by this Bloomberg report, is staggering. Tens of billions of dollars worth of debt from companies. Yeah, this year was nothing no, compared was, to what's coming in 2018. Oh, it was a sliver, and yeah. then especially if you look at 2019 and beyond, and so uh, it's it's staggering. And I think uh, one thing that the Bloomberg study didn't point out, um, Credit Suisse came out with a report earlier this year, looking at the sheer square footage. Retail space that we have here in the United States, and, and Bill was getting at it. It's just eventually we have, we have well, <laughs> we have two thousand. I mean, the number the number here is, is amazing. We have two thousand square meters for every one thousand people in the U.S. Two thousand square meters of retail. Don't use space. the metrics. Come on, come on, come on. Come on. And they did it in meters. Hey, I can't help hey, it. Hey, credit hey. Suisse. What are you, Canadian? <laughs> right. But you know what the number? What's the number? What's the number in Germany? For example, Germany. You know, obviously a very advanced it's also country. meters. Yeah, uh, yeah. hundred eighty-one. So we've got two thousand here. In Germany, it's 181. In China, it's 39. Yeah. So that number alone says, to Bill's point, we've we've got there's just too much retail. We've got too much space that we don't need anymore. Uh, and so I think those three things: Amazon, balance sheet, over square, too much square footage. Yeah, and it's, it's shifting. A really interesting conversation that I had with Kent Taylor, uh, who is the CEO of Texas Roadhouse. Texas Roadhouse loves putting their restaurants on mall properties, like in the middle of the parking lot. And he said, "Yeah." There are a lot of malls that are that are out there that are that are going away, but a lot of them are shifting. You know, they're they're shifting. There's a fantastic new development in the western part of uh, of this metropolitan area called the Mosaic District, and they have taken office space, they've taken residential, and they've got retail, and it's all mixed together, right? And so there you have a very vital retail environment, and it's just because it's shifted to how people are shopping now. The target there. Has an escalator that will bring your cart like up and down. It is I mean, the, it's like voodoo yeah. magic. I would go there just <laughs> for the escalator at Target. 
Is that wrong? No, no. My son, the first time we went, tried to follow the escalator up that glider thing. I was like, you know, son, you might not survive this experience. <laughs> so let's let's underline it for investors, because Bill, I know you're a big fan of asking the question when you read the newspaper. What does this mean for investors? Where's the opportunity for investors? So given this whole shift with retail, the Amazon effect, too many stores, too much real estate, too much debt. Yeah. As an investor, what do you do with all that? You know, it's really it's it's a great question, and I haven't really cracked the code yet. But I think that some of the answer is going to actually be some of the real estate development companies. And we're talking about like Jones Lang LaSalle, which primarily deals in office space, but. A lot of office space now is being integrated into you know this is where this is where the growth is. So I think that those types of consultancies are probably areas of opportunity. And then also, the the Amazon apocalypse is a pretty known story. So I think that I think that companies like Home Depot really actually do offer a little bit of opportunity. There's one company that comes to mind, and I think it's it's a recommendation in at least one of our services. It's called Stag Industries. Yeah. It's a REIT, and their specialty is really looking at... Um, Why isn't it right? <laughs> I mean, we're German, right? <laughs> uh, but it's uh, they, they specialize in kind of warehouses, distribution, distribution facilities, um, light industrial stuff, stuff that's kind of trending that way with the e-commerce world that we're getting into and so they they own a lot of those properties and that's that's an interesting way of, of playing stag industries to, stag industries yeah okay well we will keep an eye on that guys shares of buffalo wild wings up big on tuesday on news that a private equity firm had made an offer to buy the chain according to reports rourke capital had made an offer of more than 150 dollars a share bill that's that's some that's some good cash. Given yeah. that B Wild is trading around one hundred and seventeen dollars a share, or was immediately moved up to nearly the price. There you go. So, what do you make of that? What I make of it is, given the fact that Sally Smith, who's the longtime CEO and really has been the driver behind Buffalo Wild Wings' growth up till now, and it really has been a phenomenal story up until about the last two years, the market is saying that this is an offer that's likely to be. Taken, it will certainly uh, be meriting a you know consideration in the boardroom, and maybe it's a maybe it's a good deal. I mean, it's I, I have a hard time with the fact that Sally Smith's been essentially pushed out after years and years of outperformance, and you know this is just another one of the signs of how hard it is to be a CEO of a, of a public company or to be a public company in general. And restaurants in particular seem seem to have a. I mean, it's a tough, tough business. Yeah. Is there more of a sell by date when it uh, comes to restaurants? As an investor, if you own a restaurant, do you keep it on a much shorter leash? Because we can all think back to the Boston markets, the Boston chickens. You think of Chipotle's yeah. recent problems, and and obviously stocks go up and stocks go down. But restaurants seem to be a particularly fickle business. You know, and Matt may have a slightly different take on this, but I think that I think that with restaurants, brand and experience is everything. But really, brand is so powerful with restaurants. But you can't you can't put too much power into the brand and put too much value into the brand because Chipotle is a great example. And uh, 
a few years ago, I don't know if you all remember this, but suddenly Chipotle had no access to the pork that they used to make carnitas. And they just put a sign up saying, you know, we had all the storage, sorry, we have no carnitas. And that was maybe the canary in the coal mine for, for Chipotle. The fact that their supply chain was stretched enough and weak enough that a little problem was going to cause big problems for them, or a little challenge, I guess I would say. So, yes. You have to be very careful in putting too much value into the brands of restaurants because they can disappear like that. That's such a great. I had totally forgotten about the, that pork issue yeah. several years ago, but that did. If you if you really dug into that, you'd realize that Chipotle spreading out across the country with their supply chain was yeah. going to cause yeah, exactly. a lot of unforeseen challenges that they hadn't dealt with before. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's easy to get an amount of product from one farm. But as you grow, you need more and more and more, you know, suppliers, if you will. And it's really hard. It's a it it is an enormous challenge. And and you know the thing that I take from Chipotle, which I appreciate, and you know I still do appreciate, is that they take a lot of pride in their supplies and their food and you know and everything else. But it hurt them, and that's a hard reality with restaurants. And do you have a favorite restaurant stock or? A restaurant that you would like to see go, see go public that may not be public yet. I well, because you know, we we live in the D.C. area, and uh, one restaurant chain I, don't know, I hesitate to call it chain because I think there's only probably half a dozen, but there's Matchbox, which is just this yeah, oh so good, really great yeah. local. I think I don't think they have any restaurants outside the D.C. area, but it's great food, great atmosphere. You know, it's way too small probably to consider going public. But if you know, there's one I'd like to see go public maybe in the future. Yeah. So to me, the obvious answer is Chick Fil A. Oh yeah, Chick Fil A. Chick Fil A. Chick Fil A is so 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 good. They have one in Reagan National Airport now, <laughs> and I am willing to pay the six dollars parking to go to, and, go, to go to Chick Fil A <laughs> at the airport. Is that a cry for help or what? It used to be at Dulles, and this is this maybe is a sign of the times. It, it, Dulles was, Dulles had inside of the security area the only Starbucks that was on my commute to my old business, and so my friend and I would drive. He would drop me off. I would go in through security, buy Starbucks, come back out, <laughs> and he will have done a loop, and we'd get in the car and go to work. So yes, I understand you perfectly. You have topped me. That is outstanding. Well, it, it, this was before 2001, which that was not such a challenge that it is now. You weren't, you know, deep belting and things like that to get your coffee. Um, yeah. So, yeah, Chick fil A would be fantastic. There's actually a restaurant uh, that it's a Taiwanese restaurant. They've just started opening uh, shops in the, we- in, in the West. It's a dumpling place called Din Tai Fung. And it is, it is, for a while, it was the cheapest Michelin starred restaurant in the world. Ah. And they've begun opening additional stores, and it's phenomenal. And not only is it phenomenal, the price point is such that, because it's dumplings, they're all pre-made, so you can literally sit down and eat and be paid and done in 20 minutes. I like that. Yes. So, as a business, I mean, as a customer, it's fantastic, but as a business, that's pretty awesome, too. Uh, as we talk about you know, restaurants we'd like to see go public, I, I would say the, the one thing that this Buffalo Wild Wings deal kind of emphasizes for me, and we talk about the challenges that Chipotle's faced. It's what Bill said earlier was just it's so hard to be a public company yeah. nowadays, especially if things aren't going your way. The scrutiny you have to deal with, and I worry that this might become a trend: either more companies going private, less companies going public. And as in, you know, as public investors, obviously, it's not something we'd like to see, but it's probably a trend. 
Well, guys, before we talk about our next story, I want to say thanks again to our identity protection friends at MyIDCare. Remember that massive data breach that Equifax had in September? It exposed personal information for more than one half of the U.S. adult population. Likely some of your most sensitive and valuable personal information was compromised in the breach. Hackers seized names, social security numbers, birth dates, addresses, and even some driver's license information. My ID Care covers all types of identity theft. From medical ID theft to child identity theft, they have you covered. Enroll today to get credit in dark web monitoring, $1 million insurance, and 100% success rate restoring identities. Join the more than 25 million Americans who depend on My ID Care for protection. Get 15% off by visiting myidcare.com slash fool today. Okay, guys, let's close by um, talking about the oh-so-sexy world of passive investing oh, and indexing. Boy. One of my <sighs> favorite economists, if you can have favorite economists. It is kind of a geeky opener, uh, right? Sure. I know, I know. But we, we've interviewed him, and, and I really, really love Robert Schiller. And He by is the a way, great interview, isn't he? He, he is. Absolutely fabulous. And he's won a Nobel Prize, so we should Pretty probably good. mention that. Yeah. And um, on CNBC yesterday, guys, he he had some kind of ominous or cautionary things to say about passive investing and indexing. And just to put it all in perspective here, in 2016, investors um, invested more than a half trillion dollars into passive funds. It's kind of a lot. Big number. Yeah. So here's what Robert Schiller has to say. He says, the strength, quote, the strength of this country was built on people who watched individual companies. They had opinions about them. All this talk of indexes, it's a little bit diluting of our intellect. It's become more of a game. Bill Mann, indexing bad for the market? What do you think? I think it, I, I, look, it's a tragedy of the commons. And it's a little disingenuous for us. Like, we're stock guys, right? Right. Yes, <laughs> passive investing bad. <laughs> <laughs> But it does it does expose certain risks that you do not other otherwise have, and I think people need to know about them. The market in, is a price discovery instrument, so if everyone is going to passive investing, nobody is doing the research by which discovery happens. You know, and I and, and I think about the fact that you know we were just talking about Buffalo Wild Wings potentially going private. You know, it's been a pain for them to be public for the last couple of years. It can't be a good environment in which passive investing is a, is such a huge thing to think about going public as a company. Like, why would you? Because you have to hope to end up in some index constituency. You might not be there, and so it's it's expensive and it's a hassle, and nobody's watching. Yeah, I agree, and I think what it does is it it, it eliminates the the distinction between quality companies. And companies of lesser quality, because as Bill said, if you, know, you could be a bad company, but if you're lucky enough to be in part of this dividend aristocrat index, you know money's flowing your way, and your stock price is probably um, high as a result. Whereas a company that's not in that index, who might be performing better, might be an interesting opportunity. It's it's not getting that kind of quote unquote love, you know, from yeah. the market. And so I, I agree. I think the discovery aspect of not just the price discovery, but you know, the distinguishing between companies that should be valuable, more more valuable and less valuable. It's become harder when money's just sort of flowing blindly into the market with these indexes. And some some indexes are very specific with targeting, you know, what kind of asset classes they target. And, you know, whether or not your a stock is in one of those targeting areas yeah. determines what kind of value it's going to get in the market. It's 
it's kind of a strange place to be. So it, it sounds like it's a bit of a paradox in that indexing is more effective as long as you have a critical mass of stock pickers. I think that's a, I, that's well put. Yeah, you, you 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 have to you you have to have people at the end of the day doing some analysis to set the price. And you know, I think that they're very interesting areas. So, do you know how long it's been since the S and P five hundred has 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 had more than a five percent drawdown? Uh, not at, not in a day, just like from its peak, whatever five percent back to at least early two thousand sixteen. Yeah, it's been a while. yeah, it's yeah. been a while. It's been it's been it's been more than a year. Yeah, in the same in the same year in which half a trillion dollars have gone to passive investing, and a lot of that. A lot of it goes into into index funds that are tracking the S and P five hundred. So I think that there's something meaningful going on, and when it breaks, and it always does break, it will break in a way that might be very very uncomfortable for people. And on that happy upbeat <laughs> note, <laughs> <laughs> the Undertaker is back. <laughs> so we, we, but we do. We do still think that index investing is a great vehicle for people, but I don't think that people it is not something that is without risk. Yeah. And, and I think that's what Schiller is saying too. Right. And and what I said earlier too, companies that aren't getting those aren't in those indexes can also become values. You right. Know, they they they're an interest they become opportunities for us because they're misvalued because they're not part of those indexes. So it also creates opportunities as well. And yeah, when everything starts Selling off at some point, which it will inevitably, everything's going to be selling off because so many people own these funds, and so uh, and that again, that again, more opportunities for so, the active investor. So you need your active investors and you need your indexing. Yeah. And without one, the yeah. other done work as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, in my it, when I was a fund manager, we were you know we were managing funds in you know in a lot of. Uh, emerging markets, and in some countries, like in Egypt, for example, the index fund makes up about fifty percent of the of the trading volume every single day for the you know for the stocks. And it is a situation that will break. And at some point, you're going to have the same situation here. I don't know what the percentage here. Obviously, it's a much more dynamic market than Egypt's is. It's a broader market, but. Yeah, you can't have there at some certain percentage. You are no longer tracking; you are pushing. Fifty percent of the market in Egypt. Yeah, there you go. So, if you want to win a bar bet, and if you're listening to the podcast right now, <laughs> there you go. I would have had no idea. Impress there, your friends. There's, there's your random fact. <laughs> you're going to be the life of the party, or not? Okay, guys, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Matt. All right. As thanks, always, Matt. people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.